The gospel reading for today is a parable from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. It's different from what's printed in your bulletin, so, so listen up. Um, the title of my sermon is How Not to Behave at a Wedding. And I think after I'm done reading the scripture, you may understand why. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they refused to come. Again, he sent his other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm and another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged, so he sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to the slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy, so go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe, and he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Please pray with me. Holy One, open our hearts to experience a word of life and a word of love. Amen. I think it is safe to say that this is one of the worst wedding parties ever. Maybe, maybe the red wedding in Game of Thrones is worse, the one where half the wedding party gets killed, but this one, this one in today's scripture certainly is up there in the top ten. Even so, this is the wedding story that Jesus tells. A king throws a wedding party for his son, and he sends out his servants to remind the guests of the party, but all of them, every one of them refuses to come, every single guest. So the king says, oh, no, perhaps you did not understand. I have prepared a big party, lots of food, everything is ready, come. The king says, sends his slaves to deliver this invitation again, no, really, come. Now some of the invited guests just make light of it, whatever. Some go and do other things, but some of them take the slaves who'd brought the, who had brought the king's invitation and they kill them. Now at this point you know the wedding party has really started to go downhill. <laughs> The king, again the father of the groom, is enraged, so he sends his army and he kills all of the wedding guests. And he burns their city to the ground. And living up in the North Bay this week, that image is particularly terrifying. But the king still needs guests for the wedding party, so he tells his slaves, go out and tell everyone you find, the good, the bad. The king is throwing a wedding party and you are invited, come. Now maybe these folks have heard what has happened to the first wedding guests, so they all show up. 
And okay, maybe we could stop there and strain some good news out of this scripture. We could say the people who end up at the party are the people you least expect to find there. Maybe we could do that. But the story keeps going. Everyone is at the wedding banquet feasting. The king comes in and sees some guy sitting there, one of these guys who was out in the street, invited at the last minute, sitting there, not wearing the proper clothes. And the king says, how dare you? And the poor guy's speechless. And then the king commands his slaves, throw this guy out, bind him up, tie him up, throw him out into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing and teeth, the end. Oh wait, then there's the moral of the story. Many are invited, but few are chosen. What do we do with a train wreck of a parable like this? <laughs> what do we do with a scripture like this? This is Jesus telling this story in the Gospel of Matthew. And he says the kingdom of God is like this. How on earth do we find good news here? Particularly hearing this text with modern ears, but maybe hearing it at any time in history, there are at least two significant problems with this parable. First is its raw and bloody violence. The first wedding guests kill the king's messengers. The king retaliates by slaughtering all of the first wedding guests and then burns their city to the ground. And then even when the new guests are recruited to fill the seats, the king throws one of the guests out, tied and bound into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then, second, coupled with this violence, there is this sense in this story that the story itself is intended to exclude and to marginalize someone or someones. The first wedding guests, out. The poor guy in the wrong clothes, really out. There's this sense throughout the story that again and again, folks are being left out, thrown out, excluded from the wedding party. Someone belongs, but someone doesn't. And we're not imagining that. That's right there in the text. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, and the Gospel of Matthew, I think, is one of the hardest to, to get your head around, there is this sense that the writer is arguing against some group of people. We think that Matthew's community had been thrown out of a larger community, and they seem to be writing against someone. This whole story seems to be set up to argue that someone is in the wrong. Someone's missed the boat. There are those who respond to the invitation, and those who don't. There are those who wear the right clothes to the party, follow the right customs, and those who don't. There are those who are in, and there are those who are out. And unfortunately, this sense of excluding and marginalizing is a compulsion that has followed this story through centuries of interpretation. Whenever folks pick up this story, more often than not, by the time they are finished, someone gets included and someone gets thrown out. Someone is right and someone is wrong. Calvin focused on that poor guy at the wedding and used the story to argue that God's invitation is expansive and gracious, but it's really only a narrow group that, get, that ends up spending eternity in God's presence. Some are in, but everybody else is out. And at its very worst, Historically, this story has been used to advance anti-Semitic violence. This anti-Semitic reading has been used to say that those first invited to the banquet were the Jewish people, 
and they rejected Christ, and so God moved on. This particularly evil interpretation has helped feed centuries of Christian violence against Jewish people. What do we do with a text that is this violent? What do we do with a scripture that has been used again and again, century after century, in context after context, to exclude and to marginalize and to perpetuate violence? Here's what we can do. We can argue back. We can argue with the scripture. We can take it on. Did you know we can do that? One of my preaching teachers, Dr. J. Alfred Smith Sr., calls it having a lover's quarrel with scripture. You see, we take these ancient texts and we listen back over the centuries and we try to hear a fresh and living word of good news for today. But these stories were told out of a particular culture and sometimes they can be saturated in the worst of that culture, saturated with the violence and oppression of their day. And if we don't name that, and if we don't address that, we can come up with harmful and dangerous interpretations of scripture that only serve to exacerbate the violence and oppression of our own day. We don't have to stay stuck in the violence and oppression of their day or of ours. We don't have to keep telling the same old bad stories over and over again, the same bad, violent, harmful stories. No. Standing in our lives, in our experience, in conversation with these ancient texts and with each other and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we have the created and the creative capacity to tell our own stories, our stories of where we have experienced God in our lives, in the stories of Scripture, where we see God's love in Jesus Christ showing up again and again. We don't, have to, we don't need to stay stuck in the same old violent narrative. Our work is to break free. And so I want to offer this morning what some might call a queer reading of this text. I read this text of exclusion as a gay man, as someone who has been an outsider, as someone who has been excluded. I come to this text, this disastrous, hostile, and exclusionary wedding party, as someone who is part of the LGBTQ community that for far too long was never, ever, ever invited to the party, particularly not the wedding party. A queer reading of scripture searches the text and asks, who is being othered here? Who's being excluded? Who is being left out? Who's being thrown out? Who is being silenced? A queer reading looks carefully at how power over is being used to harm and abuse, and then it actively engages the text and the world to deconstruct and dismantle that power over and to free ourselves to be fully in relationship with each other. So I want to begin by saying that I reject the violence of this text, every bit of it. And I reject every interpretation of this text that has been used to exclude and to marginalize and to harm people over the centuries. As I read the expanse of scripture, I understand God to be a God of love and of welcome. A God who comes to her people in slavery and sets them free. A God who seeks her people out in exile and brings them home. A God who comes to us in Jesus Christ, healing all that is broken and gathering at a table with anyone who will come. Standing in the expansive grace of scripture, I want to tell a different wedding story. 
Now, some of you, some of you know I had the privilege, along with Tim Kahn, of representing Janie Sparr, a Presbyterian minister who's brought up on disciplinary charges for celebrating the marriages of 16 same-gender couples back in 2008, back when the church still wasn't sure that it wanted to recognize the marriages of same-gender couples. And I think I've, I've talked about that here, um, about that trial in general um, before, but I want to focus today on one story. When the church put Janie on trial, we called all these couples to testify, and we asked each couple three main questions. Why did you want to get married? What was your wedding like? Why did you want to have Reverend Jane Spar celebrate your marriage with you and your family? And they told their stories. Over three days of trial in a church fellowship hall, the couples took the stand together and told their wedding stories, and I want to share one of those with you. On the second day of trial, Lisa and Renna told their story. Lisa is a Presbyterian minister who currently works on a psychiatric emergency team. Renna is a clinical research nurse who works with children receiving stem cell treatments. They've been together a long while. They've had children and they're raising a family. And in 2007, they decided that they wanted to celebrate their relationship, their family, and have a blessing surrounded by their family and their church community. So they started planning. They were aware that at the time, the National Presbyterian Church hadn't yet embraced the marriage of same-gender couples, so they decided to call it a blessing, to try to stay out of Presbyterian trouble. But as soon as word got out, some other local churches challenged their ceremony in Presbyterian courts. I know this is, I think this is just as crazy as you probably do. And these other churches tried to get an order prohibiting the ceremony from taking place. Lisa and Renna didn't back down. Among other reasons, they couldn't see telling their daughters that the church had turned them away. And their congregation stood with them, even though the interim pastor eventually said that he couldn't be a part. And on a happy day, in January 2008, they gathered with their church community and their family for a beautiful service, what they call their spiritual, if not yet legal, wedding. Over 450 people came. They exchanged vows and presented gifts to their children. They had a children's time in the service with about 50 kids coming forward. They say it was a beautiful, wonderful day. Then. Just a couple of months later, the California Supreme Court held that the right to marriage extended to same-gender couples. And so Lisa and Renna decided to get legally married. They'd had the big service, so they thought they'd do something smaller. They decided they'd have a close friends and family service up in Yosemite. As Renna describes it, they decided to just put on blue jeans, drive to Yosemite, stand in Tuolumne Meadows, bring our dearest friends, have a six-pack, and get married. Their family flew in again, and on an October morning, they set out toward Yosemite, just as a freak snowstorm came in. They started driving up into high country, and their kids kept calling out from the back seat as they watched the temperature drop. 58, 42, 35. They stopped on the way and got out and decided that it was just too cold to do the wedding outside. So they thought, okay, well, we'll just head on to the Tioga Pass Resort, and maybe they'll find a corner somewhere inside where they'll let us have the wedding. 
But a few miles later, they stopped at a park ranger kiosk and were informed that the resort had been closed for the season for about two weeks. So while the kids played in the snow, they tried to figure out what to do. And at that point, Janie looked up and saw the park ranger's hut across the parking lot. And she said, you should go and ask them if we can have the wedding there. So they asked. And the park rangers were thrilled because things like this don't happen in the park ranger's hut that often. <laughs> and everybody crowded into that small building. The park rangers threw a party. And there at an outpost of the United States Park Service, there in front of the glowing fireplace under a portrait of President George W. Bush, <laughs> surrounded by family and friends and park rangers, they were legally married. When you peel back all of the violence of today's parable and all the ways that it has been used to exclude, what that wedding story and this wedding story have in common is this. Everybody gets invited to God's banquet. And when we're all gathered at the table, our only job is to rejoice and to love. The reign of God is like a community that gathered around a family for a wedding banquet. They opened up their doors and invited everyone in. They invited them in and offered them shelter, whether they were fleeing from fires or storms or violence. They welcomed them in and gave them a safe place from everything that can do us harm. And nothing could keep them away. No law, no rule, no hate. They gathered at a table where everyone was welcome and no one was turned away. Friends, it's time for us to step out of the violent and exclusionary narrative that has controlled us for so long. It's time for us to just stop telling the same old harmful stories and to start telling our own. It's time for us to start telling and living out our own stories of where we have experienced God's love, of all the ways that God has welcomed us and the whole world in. Because you see, this is the good news of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. At God's banquet, Everyone is invited. Everyone is chosen. Everyone is loved.